sacred text in Luke's Gospel and in the parable in verses 15 through to the end, we see the Lord Jesus instructing the people back then and us today, which is the right entrance into the kingdom of heaven. What is the right entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Who will be those who will be so blessed and privileged, privileged to partake of this wonderful feast that is so simply put in today's parable? Simple yet eternally profound parables, dear friends, are designed by Almighty God to really keep out those who are proud and rebellious sinners who continue in pride out of the kingdom of God. And whilst at the same time that the simple parables are designed to call sinners who have been humbled, really, and who have been brought low to hear the words of God and to be called of God. And so we see here at the beginning of today's parable, in verse 16 it says that a certain man made a great supper and bade many. This certain man made a great supper, a great feast, and he invited many. It is obvious that this certain man is a certain king, because we know from Matthew's parallel passage, where the same parable is spoken, that it describes a certain king. So we know the certain man to be a certain king, and of course this is none other than the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the Lord of Lords. This is who the, the parable is speaking about, this certain man, a certain king. It is the Lord. It is therefore clear that the great supper spoken here is also in regards to the parallel passage in Matthew's Gospel, is the marriage feast of the King. The great marriage feast made by the King, which really represents uh, a soul's union with God. That's what it represents, a soul's union with God. How a person is brought into union with God. And so this, dear friends, is a spiritual marriage which is according to the covenant of grace that uh, the Word of God teaches. The Lord Jesus is the bridegroom and his bride is the true church that by faith trusts in him. This certain man has, who, is, who made this great supper, this great feast, we are told bade many. He invited many to come. There's much room, there's much room in his house. And yet we are told in verse 17 that he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. Verse 17, he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. Of course we know that the first servants to be sent out to invite the people uh, to this great supper, to this great marriage feast of the king, of course were the holy prophets of old and John the Baptist. This, these were the first servants to go out, were 
the holy prophets. And they, they went over and over again to invite people in, to trust in the Saviour, that, that they, he, he, did not want, uh, he did not want them to trust in their works, but in the Saviour. And he would have mercy and not sacrifice. And over and over again, the Lord Jesus sent out his holy prophets of old, and John the Baptist, who pointed uh, to the Saviour. All the sacrifices, all the types, they pointed to the Lord. The fact that they were sent out at night indicates a number of truths to us. Firstly, it indicates the urgency of the matter. Come, for all things are now ready. This is an urgent message. Everything is prepared now. Uh, long has been the day, and it's time now. Christ has come to his temple. And so it's an urgent message. Today is a day of salvation. Don't put it off. And all things are ready. Come, for all things are now ready. So it's a very urgent message. Hence the need for God's ministers and gospel preachers to go out on the highways and byways often and preach the gospel. And the very fact that many churches don't do that is very telling, isn't it, to the days that we're living in. But secondly, uh, the fact that they were sent out at night also indicates that everything had been fully prepared as well. Weddings in that culture and in those traditions were at night. Everything was ready now. Everything was prepared. Come, for all things are now ready. We need not bring. You need not bring anything with you. You need not bring your own garments. You need not bring your own food. You need not bring anything. Just come as you are. Come. He's, he's inviting all sorts of people. Come. You don't have to bring anything with you. This is a free invitation. You just come as you are, as you, as you were. If you're poor, but that doesn't matter. If you're lame, if you're halt, if you are in great need, just come. That the king is inviting you to this great supper, this great feast to have. And again, this is a picture of God's call to needy sinners, to have union with him, to reconcile needy sinners to him. Everything is ready, as it were. The whole feast is ready. The sacrifice has been made. And thirdly, this banquet feast, dear friends, also represents that it has, and, and, and at night time as well, that it's at night, it represents that this has been long in the making, as it were, and at great cost to the king. The king has been long in the making of this. This has been ever of old, as it were, and this has been told many times. They have been bidden many, many times. They have been invited many times. And the king, at great cost, has set down the sacrifice. The supper itself, of course, refers to Christ's perfect sacrifice for sinners. He is the Lamb of God, isn't he? Uh, and uh, he has been given himself at great cost, no doubt. And so the supper itself, of course, refers to Christ's perfect sacrifice for sinners. Now, in verse 18, we're told that they all, with one consent began to make excuse. And dear friends, this is typical of man's sinful nature, that we all by nature make excuses 
why the reason why we don't want to turn from our sin. We don't want to consider our maker. This is typical, and we think that if we excuse ourselves in numbers, if we just go along with the multitude, with the crowds, well, well, everyone else is doing it, and so God cannot condemn all these people. I can do it as well. And so this is typical with man. They all, with one consent, began to make excuse. And this, again, speaks of the contempt that, in the context of the, the Jews, the, the, the contempt they had for Christ and the gospel of grace, that, that only Christ, only through Christ, is the right entrance into the kingdom of God. They made light of his words and his person, and they excused themselves. And their response and excuses are very telling to why many in our day make the same excuses to the divine invitation that God uh, gives us through the gospel of Christ and his grace. The first excuse we see in verse 18, where the Lord says, I have, with, with, he speaks of this parable, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. I have bought a piece of ground, this is the first excuse, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. This first excuse really is, it is a common one, uh, namely to man's vain hope in earthly securities. That's really what it's representing. Man's vain excuses, really, for earthly securities. A sure way the multitudes blind and deafen themselves, dear friends, to God's invitation is by rooting themselves in the land, as it were, by giving their heart and their mind and their strength to earthly securities, to uh, really to the, the rooting themselves in the things of this world, being so preoccupied. And it's not, it's not a sin to have a mortgage, it's not a sin to, to have a property in these things, but if we give our heart solely to these things, dear friends, if we give our, our hearts to earthly securities at the expense of eternity, well, dear, dear friends, these become our, the, the greatest snares to our soul. Now, it must be said, like I said, that there's nothing wrong about buying land. These things are needful and they can be lawful. However, this man's heart was so fully set uh, and enlarged upon his estate, the enlargement of it, his, his, his estate, that he missed the gospel call, that he missed the invitation. He forgot about his soul. He forgot about what's truly going to matter in the end. Because there is an end to our estates, to our lands, to our properties. There's an end to all these things. And he forgot about that. He missed the gospel call. For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Notice, friends, also how disingenuous this first excuse was. He says, I must, I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Could not he have rearranged another time to see this property? Could he not have deferred it for another time? This is not the king's invitation after all. And the parable here gives us the sense that these people who are excusing 
were actually living were subjects of the king. They, 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 the king had given them everything. The king hadn't provided everything for them, and yet they were abusing the king's kindness. They were making excuses because really they had contempt for the king. They made light of the king's words. And so this is, they ignored the king's invitation. They had contempt, dear friends, with these lame excuses. And notice also that he was very polite as well. Very polite indeed. I pray thee, he says, I pray thee have me excused. And friends, I'm telling you now that there will be lots of polite and very respectable people who will be cast into hell. That's a solemn truth, isn't it? There will be many very polite, respectable, outstanding citizens that will be cast into hell because they're ignoring the true gospel call of the Saviour. That's a solemn truth, isn't it, friends? Notice also the risky nature of this first excuser. He says, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. He's buying land that, that apparently he has not yet seen. This is risky business. And isn't this like all rebel sinners? They gamble with their souls. This is risky business, buying a land that he hasn't even seen. I bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. This is risky business, friends. And how often people gamble, dear friends, in this life, but more so with their souls. Buying land that you have not seen is risky business. And how much more so is rejecting the King of Kings' invitation, the Saviour's invitation to enter into his kingdom. That he's prepared everything. He's prepared a true entrance, a way for us to, to, to enjoy him, to be saved. And friends, how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. And perhaps he had seen this piece of land. Perhaps but it, 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 he had seen this piece of land and it's intimating to us that he just wanted to go back. He just wanted to go back and gaze upon this land, as it were. And this shows that the covetous heart of man by nature. He's wanting just to go back and, and sit there, as it were, and gaze upon the work of his hands and think in his heart, well, I've got all these things for my doing. Look how talented I am. Look how prudent I am. I'm not like other men. I haven't fallen to life snares and all these things. I, I am worthy of all these things. And so, we see here also a really covetous heart, do we not, friends? And friends, how a covetous heart, which is full of, with eyes full of this world, will deafen us to the gospel. When we have eyes full of this world, at the expense of the, of the next world, friends, how it deafens us to the gospel. Men take all their time surveying their worldly securities, uh, the things of this world, friends, they will, and what will they count for in the end? What will they mean in the end? That's why Solomon, in his wisdom, says, where is the wise man? You know, where is the person that gave their heart to the, 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 the false securities of this life? That gave their heart to the, the pleasures of, and the things which will come to nothing? Where are those people now? They're in hell, aren't they? Polite, respectable people who, who just gave their heart to the things of this world. It's solemn, isn't it, friends? And lastly, notice in this first excuse, he says, I must needs go and see it. I must needs go and see it. These things are but small things. 
He could have deferred this. He could have gone another time. But he's saying, I need to. These things are a priority in my life. And dear friends, if you know anything about economics and the law of economics, there's a difference, is there not, between a need and a want. I need bread. I need a home. I need water. These are needs. But to go and look upon a lamb and gaze upon it and to puff up my pride, that's a want, isn't it? That could be deferred. That could be rearranged. You see, dear friends, in our nature, we are, we are all like this first excuser. You see, we, we want to these things. We want more earthly security. We put our trust in these things. This is us by nature, isn't it? And so this now brings us to our second excuse, which really is similar to the first. Verse 19 says, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. The oxen in those days was very uh, linked to, of course, farming and cultivation and ploughing and business. And no doubt those people who are, come from poorer countries and third world countries will know that oxen, oxen were given, uh, were used for ploughing, for business. Um, indeed, Proverbs 14.4 says in this respect, where, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. In other words, if you've got oxen and you're using it to plough your field, well then you can expect more ploughing and more sowing and more reaping. Your barns will be full, as it were, of produce if you've got oxen. And so this second excuse has in mind, therefore, the inordinate desire of wealth and worldly gain by means of much business and much worldly affairs. That's the meaning here. This is what the second excuse is, uh, is giving his heart to business and worldly gain and wealth by means of these oxen. The picture we have here is someone who has bought these five oxen and he goes to test strength of these oxen, to make sure that they come to the standard of one another, that when he's ploughing, he wants to test and prove them, that the strength they're able to pull at the same strength, to be able to plough up his fields, and so that he can sow. And so he's bought these oxen with an eye to business, as it will, testing the compatibility of these oxen to plough his fields. And once again, friends, these things by themselves are needful. These are needful things. These are lawful things. However, when the heart is so set upon these things, they will prove to be our most, most awful hindrances, friends. They will prove good things, will prove our most awful hindrances to the soul. Just as the man goes to prove these oxen for their strength, will not the Lord himself prove our hearts whether we have sufficient strength and grace enough for heaven. It's true, isn't it? God proves every true child that makes a profession. Well, he will prove us whether we have sufficient strength for heaven, whether we have sufficient righteousness for heaven and for his kingdom. So this second excuse shows us the reason why many resist Christ's words and his grace. It's because they are far too much preoccupied and concerned with the increase of the things of this life. 
at, at the great expense of eternity. The eye is never satisfied with seeing, and the ear is never filled with hearing. We can never be satisfied by nature. We're made for God. We're made for a higher purpose. There's a great emptiness and void in where the things of this world can never satisfy us because we have this eternal vacuum. And the folly that we, all, we are all guilty of is we try to fill it with temporary things. And yet there's more that emptiness will be there. Worldly business and worldly affairs daily consume the masses, dear friends, with the matters of time and carnal pursuits over that which is of eternity. And Christ the Saviour and that of heaven. And what folly is this, friends? What folly? To choose the pond, as it were, to the ocean. To give your, your time to the pond instead of, of the vastness of the ocean. To give yourself to the molehill instead of the mountain. To give yourself to the body, dear friends, which is a, a granule upon a seashore of eternity at the great, the great uh, blessing of the soul. It's great folly, isn't it? We're made for a higher purpose. And what shock, dear friends, will meet those who are full of the world when they are ushered into eternity. Shock will come upon them. And what utter confoundment and dread will meet with those who made light of Christ's words and made light of those true gospel preachers who made light of their words and despised them and swore at them and made polite excuses to them. What dread and confoundment they will meet, friends. And what fear and utter horror will grip those who were so gripped with time and carnal pursuits and with temporary riches and honours and academic pride and worldly vanities. Oh, friends, it will come upon them as a thief upon in the night, will it not? And what excuse and answer will they give the righteous king, the righteous judge of all, then? You know, there is a, there's a reason, isn't there, why it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Not many are those people who put their trust in the worldly wisdom and worldly things, and the, the, the things which people give their hearts to. Not many of people, not many of those people will be saved. Yes, some will, of them will be saved, but not many. They prove to be man's greatest hindrances. God had chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of this world, God had chosen. That no man may glory, glory in his flesh. I've heard many a worldly man say over the years, seeking to comfort their troubled soul and conscience, with the, they comfort themselves with the vague thought that when you die, that's it. How many times have you heard that? When you die, that's it. And they comfort themselves, and that's not it. When you die, that's not it. When we die, the judgment. We will all stand before the righteous judge. And those who carry on, Ignoring this wonderful invitation to come, there's still time to come in, to be saved. Come as you are. 
There's still time to, to, to know the Saviour, to have union with God, to have a relationship with Him. Come in now, as you are, with all your sin and guilt and failures. Come. Come, He bids you this space to come in. He's a rich king above all kings. Come in now. But those who carry on making light of Christ and His words and His glorious invitation to be truly and soundly converted, dear friends, well, when they are ushered into eternity, that's just the start of it. That's, the, that's, that's not it. That's the start of an eternal hell. Your worst nightmare, friends. It's, it's going to be a, a, a lasting nightmare where the, where the worm never stops. Utter darkness. All common grace and common love and goodness and mercy stripped away. You think about every good thing that we have. A loving thought. A, a, a tasting of a nice food. A hearing a bird tweet and sing. Looking at the colour of the trees. Any good thoughts, any wonderful things that we can enjoy here. How? They'll all be stripped away. All common God's common grace will be taken away. Which even unbelievers enjoy. That will be the start of it. Won't it? It's not it. Hell will carry on. And when rebel sinners are there a million years in hell, dear friends, they've still got an eternity to come. It's solemn, isn't it? And polite, respectful, outstanding citizens will be in hell. Because they made light of the Saviour's words, friends. It's, it's solemn, isn't it? And we see, do we not, dear friends, in our next Excuse, the third excuse, another typical excuse that man makes, that we all make by nature. Verse 20 says that another said, I have married a wife, and therefore cannot come. This, this third excuse in verse 20, another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And notice, dear friends, that this excuse seems more relevant than the rest, doesn't he? And this again shows us man's natural capacity and progression to sin. You know, sometimes polite excuses, after a while, turn into flat-out refusal, don't we? People flat-out refuse to stop asking me now. They start to get irritated. And we see this progression, do we not? It appears that the inordinate love of pleasures and lust and sexual sin and sensual gratification holds the greatest power over the hearts of men. I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Not excuse me. No, no, no. I love these carnal things more, these gratifications more, and I'm not going to come now. And how many are those, dear friends, who like this first excuses? Say, I cannot come, where the truth is they will not come. They will not come, because they are too wedded to their sins. They are too married to their sins and their lust. That's the truth of it, isn't it? They refuse to come, because of the love of lust and sin. You see, marriage and, 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 and having a wife are good things. They are blessed things, marriage and wife. It's instituted of God. But if they take us away from union with God, our soul's union with our maker, and, and sincerely seeking the invitation 
of God's salvation, well then they become our worst enemies. Good things can become our worst enemies, friends. In verse 21 we are told that God's servants, who are ministers and gospel preachers, showed his Lord these things. They told the Lord. They told the Lord. And that's what true gospel ministers do and preachers do. We pray to the Lord. Well, these people will not hear me, Lord. I keep going out every week into the highways and byways. I'm preaching your gospel, Lord. They will not hear. They swear at me. They make light your word. And, and gospel preachers can say to the Lord, Lord, in mercy, save those which are yours. And we are told, aren't we, the Master's response. He got very angry, didn't he? God is angry at the wicked every day, friends. He said, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in him the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Those who have put their trust in the things of this world, I've asked them over and over again and they've ignored me. Those who put in their trust and their confidence in themselves to get their way to heaven, don't invite them anymore. My spirit will not always strive with man. No, go after the poor, the maimed. Go after the weak things of this world. Go to them. Go to the wretched, the despised things, those who are poor in spirit, those who the broken systems of this world have, been, have let down. Go to such, those who are broken hearted, those who see the emptiness of this world have been brought to see their desperate need of thee. Go to them who are maimed, who are disabled, as it were, they cannot help themselves, who realize that they are wretched, helpless, open sinners. Those who are halt, they're limp. They cannot make their way onto the narrow way. They cannot make their way to God. Go to such. Go to those poor, needy sinners. Those who understand that they're wretched, hell-deserving sinners. Go to them. Don't go to the self-righteous. Don't go to those who think they're good enough for heaven. No. Go to the poor and wretched sinners. And preach them the gospel. And you'll see that they will listen. They will come in. They who truly... Uh, understand that they cannot get right with God in themselves. Go to such. In verse 22, it says, The servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. We see here the wonderful compassion of the Lord. There's yet room. There's still time, friends, to come. There's many mansions in God's kingdom. There's, many, there's, there's much grace to be had, friends. Come now. Now is the day of salvation. There's much room. He's still compelling sinners to come now, friends. To come now. To accept Christ as your Savior. And yet again, it says in verse 24, The Lord said unto a servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. What an encouragement this is to needy sinners. To poor needy sinners. Just come as you are. Come as you are with all your sin and your guilt. Don't bring your self-righteous works. Just come as you are. God will give you a new garment, friends. He will give you the righteous robe of His righteousness and He will put it upon you. You bring, bring, Come as you are with all your guilt and your sin and He will put the, the, the perfect robe of His Son's righteousness around you and cover you. And you'll be able to come in to his kingdom now, here on earth. You'll be entered into his kingdom now. This is the right entrance into.
into God's kingdom. The sacrifice is ready. Christ has died and risen again. The work is finished of salvation. It's complete. It's ready. Now, you just by faith have to put your hands upon the Lamb and trust that all your sins are put upon the Lamb. And you will be forgiven every single one of your sins. Past, present and future. Every single one will be forgiven. Come as you are. Poor, poor, wretched, guilty sinner. Come to him now. Now is a day of salvation. What an encouragement, friends, to come. Come. And verse 24 says, For I say unto you, that none of those men which are bidden shall taste of my supper. Dear friends, those who continue to reject God's invitation, God's way of salvation. There's, you know, there's many churches that portray a wrong way of salvation, a man-centered way of salvation, a social gospel, a going-to-church gospel, a different way of salvation. No, no. God's way of salvation, those who reject that it's only through Christ, friends, you can be saved, they're in great danger. Are they not? God's spirit will not strive with man. Spirit, friends. There is an end, isn't there, to these things. And notice, friends, in conclusion, in these last verses, a number of truths. Those who live off the King, the Almighty God, the Maker of the heavens and earth, and make light His invitation, are those who are daily abusing God's mercy. They will see the wrath poured upon them because they do not trust upon the Saviour, the Saviour who bore sinner's wrath, who paid the penalty of sin. That's, that is the, the, the dilemma. If you're not trusting that Christ has, has bore all your sin, that he was punished by God the Father, and God the Father had to turn away his head and punish all your sins on that cross, if you don't believe in that, friends, then the full wrath of God is going to be poured upon you for eternity. It's solemn, isn't it? And notice also, friends, that this king is not only rich in long-suffering and mercy, but in every other sense as well. That, that, that he wants to enrich us for eternity. He wants to enrich us with his grace and his mercy. We need to set our hearts upon heaven and eternity. There is yet room in the kingdom of God for you today. Come, he says, come now. Don't delay. The invitation is given to you. Will you listen to Christ? Not me, but his words. Will you listen to him and believe in him alone, by faith alone, by God's grace alone, and to God's glory alone? Will you do it? It does not matter how bad your condition is, or has been, or how dire your sinful estate may have been, or how, how guilty you think you are. You may think, well, how can the Lord save me? You don't understand the wretched sins that I've done in my past. You don't understand the things that I'm into. Well, yes, dear friends, we're all great sinners. But Jesus Christ is a great saviour, friends. He has grace sufficient to save us of all our sins. There is free and full forgiveness of sins to be had with Christ. Friends, I, I plead with you this day. I plead with you. If God is calling you today to the great wedding feast, dear friends, 
person, trust in Him alone. I plead with your soul today. Trust in Him alone for salvation. Know assuredly that He will provide everything that you need. Everything. He will provide His righteousness like He did with Abraham. It will be imputed to you. He will provide His blood that will cleanse you from the sins. The sacrifice has been made. And if you truly believe in that, He will put His Spirit in you and give you new life. The Holy Spirit. And that will make you holy. That will make you a new person. And you will begin to love Him and love His commandments. If Christ is in you, dear friends, you'll start to become holy. You'll want to live for the Lord. You'll want to die to self. You'll want to to die to the flesh and live for Him. I plead with you, friends. I plead with you. Accept Christ's invitation today if He is calling you. The road He wants to give you. And you know, in Matthew's Gospel, parallel passage, the parable speaks, it, it, it gives us a bit more detail there, but it speaks of a man that was amongst. He tried to get in the back way to heaven. And he was amongst God's people in this, in, 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 and, and he was amongst them. And, and, and uh, the Lord noticed him and said, the service noticed him and said, you haven't got a wedding garment on. And he was kicked out, wasn't he, into everlasting darkness. And that's true of those who try to enter into heaven a different way and through Christ and through his perfect sacrifice, through being justified in him. If those who try to get into heaven another way, who will look upon their, their garments and maybe maybe ever so well dressed, and he'll say, your, your righteousness is filthy rags. I came to save sinners. I did not come to save the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. And those will be booted out, as it were, of heaven. Only those who come through Christ. Poor friends, I really hope and pray that all we hear today, Lord, will, will come the right way, will listen to the words of the Lord, and truly trust in Him and this wonderful invitation. There's room today. There's plenty of grace to be had and forgiveness to be had with the Lord.